there were two men, and they lived in a city. They lived in the same city. One was a rich man, and one was a poor man. The rich man had many cattle and sheep. The poor man scrimped, and he saved all of his money, and he was able to buy one sheep, a little ewe lamb. He loved that little ewe lamb. It ate at his table. It played with his kids, lived in his house, even slept in his bed. I mean, some of you with dogs, you understand. That's like next level, right? <laughs> yeah. One day, the rich man had a visitor. Now, instead of slaughtering one of his many cattle and his many sheep, he took the, the poor man's sheep, his little ewe lamb, and he slaughtered her, and he fed her to his visitor. Stories are powerful. We find stories all throughout scripture that are meant to teach us and to help us learn and learn valuable lessons. I love stories. I love books. One of the things that I love most about books and reading fiction is getting carried away into fantasy worlds where dragons exist and the impossible be can become reality. Last week, Lane talked about poetry. He talked about how words create worlds. He talked about how the wor word created this world. Authors use words to create fantastical worlds. Some are similar to our own. Some fictional stories are even based in our own world, while others are vastly different. Reading a book is entering into a part of somebody else's imagination. As we read descriptions that the author spells out, something beautiful happens. A picture begins to form in our minds. The words that the author speaks as they share their imagination join with our imaginations and something new and beautiful is born. There's a quote that says, no two people ever read the same book. And this is so true. If I'm reading a description of a meadow, you guys are gonna picture something completely different than what I picture. I might picture a meadow in the Rockies with pine trees and you might picture a meadow in a deciduous forest and maybe my gr grass is a little bit more bright and your grass is a little bit more dark, right? Like everybody has a different picture in their mind when they imagine something based on the words that somebody else shares. And it's almost impossible to like act accurately share exactly what we are picturing in our mind, even when we try to put it on paper. One of my favorite series is The Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Pellini, which follows the adventures of a young man, Aragon, and his dragon, Sephira, as they join forces with others to defeat the evil leader, King Galbatorix. One of the reasons I love this book so much is because of how it ends. And I was going to share that with you, and I still will, but as I was preparing this message, something else caught my attention. A mistake. 
Last week, Lane dialed in on the importance of words and the importance of specificity and particularity when it comes to the use of words in literature. It's interesting then that even before I heard his message, the mistake that I had noticed had to do with a word. And so I find it interesting that it's a common theme that we have going here as we talk about the written word. Now what's especially interesting about this mistake is it's not just a mistake that a character makes. Characters make mistakes all the time in books. We wouldn't really have books if, and stories if characters didn't make mistakes and do things wrong, right? Like, what, who wants to really read like a story where nobody makes a mistake? That's kind of boring. <laughs> I mean. But this mistake was a mistake on the part of the author. Polini's book contains a made-up language. And as you can imagine, it's quite difficult to make up a language. That's a feat I don't want to undertake. And especially difficult is keeping track of like grammatical nuances when you're creating a new language. This was his first fiction book. He wrote it at the age of 15. He was quite young when he wrote it. But when he wrote it, he decided on a whim to add a scene. A scene that demonstrated that the main character, Aragon, was, had a new position. He was, had a new position of power within these people called the Varden, who are kind of like the resistance. As a part of the scene, a woman begs Aragon to bless this orphan child that she's caring for. After some misgivings, I mean, a blessing is not a, you know, trifle thing to be giving out, but Aragon decides to go through with it, and he blesses the child. He chooses to bless the child in the ancient language so that, in a quote from the book, this would be a true blessing spoken by one of power with words of power. The blessing that he means to speak translates to, may luck and happiness follow you and may you be shielded from misfortune. That's a pretty nice thing to say. I mean, that's a pretty good blessing as far as blessings go. I mean, but what Aragon does not know, nor does the author, is that he misspoke. When Poloni was in the middle of writing the next book, Eldest, he discovered his mistake. Instead of writing, may you be shielded from misfortune, he wrote, may you be a shield from misfortune. When confronted with his mistake, Fellini was faced with a tough decision. He has to wrestle with what he's going to do. How is he going to handle this error? The book was initially self-published, so he had, he had a little bit of more power than somebody that would have gone the traditional route with publishing. In an article on his website, he says, my first instinct was to correct the error in reprints and wave the whole thing off as a slip of the finger. After all, nobody likes to admit they made a mistake, right? No, I don't like to make it, admit when I make mistakes. However, the more I, Filoni, thought about the difference between these two words, shield and shielded, the more intriguing and dramatic the possibilities became. It's easy to get defensive about your work when you're creative. 
The problem with that is that it closes your mind to alternate paths that in some cases can be better than your original choices. When it comes to plotting and characters, knee-jerk reactions often result in cliched results. Only by considering the issue in depth can you arrive at something new and perhaps startling. Think about how embarrassed Fellini must have been when he realized his mistake. We all want the perfect story. We want to create the perfect story full of, you know, good fights and intrigue and, you know, we always want the bad guy to lose and the good guy to win. And in our lives, many of us try to present the perfect story, try to act like we have it all together. We live in a age of social media. The pressure to appear perfect is immense. The pressure is on. Sites such as Instagram and TikTok even have filters that we can apply to make ourselves appear a little bit more perfect. We can apply makeup with the click of a button. We can change our hair color. We can even apply, you know, blur the background so it doesn't look so messy. We see photos and videos of people that seem to have it all together. And we feel that our lives must follow suit. So to admit we've done something wrong or that we've fallen short can be overwhelming. The book Aragon was Polony's first, and as I said, initially self-published, so it would have been easy for him to hide his mistake. And he didn't even have to admit he made a mistake. He embraced his mistake and a new character was born, but he didn't even have to tell us about that. He could have just done it and hid it under the rug and nobody would be none the wiser. But he didn't. So he creates a new character. Her name is Elva. The grammatical error and the use of the words a shield instead of shielded had some quite drastic implications for Elva. What was meant as a blessing turned into a curse. I'll let the words of Elva from the second book of the series, Eldest, describe the effects of the words that were spoken to her as an infant. You, Aragon, and Sephira created who I am. And I know you meant no harm. I forgive you. But I shall let this knowledge torture your conscience. You have condemned me to be aware of all the suffering around me. Even now your spell drives me to rush to the age of aid of a man not three-tenths away, who just cut his hand. Or to help the young flagger carrier who broke his index finger in the spokes of a wheel. And to help countless others who have been or are about to be hurt. It costs me dearly to resist those urges. And even more if I cause someone discomfort, as I do by saying this. I cannot even sleep at night for the strength of my compulsion. In owning his mistake, Polini discovers the path of redemption. And he creates a new character who goes on to, spoil alert, play a key role not only in the cycle itself, but also in the defeat of King Galbatorix. There's Alva. <clears throat> I even think it's Alva's curse that gives him the idea for the inspiration for his final battle scene. 
and how Aragorn defeats Galbatorix because Aragorn casts a spell and it says, not only would the spell show Galbatorix the wrongness of his actions, now it would also compel him to experience all the feelings, both good and bad, that he had aroused in others since the day he was born. Fellini makes a mistake and turns it into something beautiful. Just like God can take our mistakes and create, can create beauty. The story of scripture is imperfect because people are part of it. But it's beautiful because it showcases story after story of how God works to redeem our mistakes. We make mistakes. But thankfully, the author, the author of everything, does not. Nor does he leave us in our mistakes, trying to figure out how to handle them on our own. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is a challenging passage. It's encouraging because, yes, God's going to work the good out of these situations. But we have to wrestle with it because it's not instant. It's not like God swoops in like the white knight and instantly fixes everything for us. We still have to put some work in. We have to own our mistakes. We have to recognize that we made mistakes, that we make mistakes. We need to own them, take ownership. We need to repent and to not only ask for forgiveness, but to also turn away from our mistakes and our sin, asking God to help us to change our ways. When we can't see what God is doing, it's tempting to take the easy fix, to try and cover up our imperfections, to wave them off instead of owning them, to sneak them under the rug. Oh, that wasn't really a mistake to hide a grammatical mistake in reprints by simply correcting it. But something beautiful happens when we take ownership of our mistakes, when we own our mistakes, our shortcomings, our imperfections. That's when we truly allow God into those areas of our lives and allow him space in those areas to do his redemptive work. It's not quick or easy, but it is worth it. Because I don't know about you, but anytime I try to fix a mistake, I usually end up making a bigger mess out of it. One time I made a cake, and you know icing. It's pretty like runny and kind of hard to work with. And I was like, do, did the border, that was fine. And then I went in the inside, and then I got a little bit of the inside on the outside. So I tried to fix it. Well. I ended up with icing just like running all <laughs> over the cake and smudged. And the picture that was supposed to be like Spider-Man probably looked more like Venom by the time I was done with it, if you know that reference. <laughs> we often make messes when we try to fix mistakes ourselves. Some of you may have recognized the story of the two men from the book of 2 Samuel. Chapter 12. This story is a story that Nathan brings to David after he has made a, a series of mistakes. 
Not just one, many. First, David stays back in Jerusalem when he should have gone with his men. Then he's idle and he gives in to his lustful desires and he sleeps with Bathsheba who gets pregnant. In an effort to cover this up himself, he calls Bathsheba's husband home, Uriah, and says, sleep with your wife. He doesn't. So ultimately, David has Uriah killed. Sin can be described as the human propensity to mess things up for our own gain. And in this story, David did a whole lot of that. <laughs> he messed up a lot. But God didn't leave him there. He didn't leave him in his mess. He didn't leave him in his mistakes. He went after him. He sent Nathan. He's like, Nathan, David has made a mess and he's not turning to me. You need to go intervene on my behalf. He sends Nathan with a wake-up call. Wake up, David. What are you doing? And David listens. He hears Nathan. He hears God. And he turns. He repents. He responds with repentance. Now, David's owning of his sin and subsequent repentance doesn't mean he, has to avoid, he gets to avoid the consequences of his actions. Bathsheba gives birth to a son who dies. There are long-term consequences as God tells David that his wives will be taken from him. He will be humiliated publicly for the things that he did in private. But God also brings redemption. Bathsheba, a little later, they're married, and she gives birth to a second child, a son, who we know as Solomon. He goes on not only to be a great king, but he also gets a place in the genealogy of Jesus, who is the ultimate redeemer, the ultimate gift of redemption. Despite David's mistake and the mess he made trying to clean it up, God was able to bring redemption. Just as he is able to bring redemption in our lives when we let him in. God's strength shines in our weakness. We are his creations. We are born out of his creative process. As Psalm 139, 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And in Hebrews 12, it says, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. Words create worlds, and the word is bringing about the redemption of God's world. That's what Jesus came for. We all make mistakes, but God doesn't. You are not a mistake. God is captivated by your story. And he's writing a new story. A new story in each and every one of you. Every single day. I know that's hard to hear sometimes and that's hard to feel sometimes. Sometimes God feels really distant. We are all creators in one way or another. And sometimes it's in that creative process where we can reconnect with God. We may not all draw or write. I mean, you might be thinking there, yeah, you say we're all creative, but I'm not that creative. 
I didn't think I was that creative either. But, you know, sometimes you can learn new skills like making bumper videos and things like that. <laughs> and you can discover a creative passion that you didn't know you had. Like David, like Fellini, we are not perfect, so we're going to make mistakes, and we need to own that. We're going to make mistakes in our lives, and we're going to make our mistakes in our creative processes. And when we do, instead of trying to fix them ourselves, let's take ownership of our mistakes. Let's invite God into our mess and allow him to do what he does best, redeem. Make new. Bring life to that which we never could have dreamed or imagined. What story is he writing in you? I would like to end with a blessing and a prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may God supply every need of yours in accordance to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would remind us of your identity as your precious children who you created for a purpose. We take a moment to recognize our sin, our mistakes, and to own those things. We take ownership so that we can bring them to you with open hands and say, we're sorry, we need your help. Take our mess and make something beautiful. Creator of everything. Thank you for the redemptive work that you have already done in our lives and the redemptive work that you continue to do. In Jesus' name.